And welcome to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast with myself, Edward Assel, and Arthur Black. Today, we have Joshua Gonzalez of Thunderbird in Indianapolis uh, talking about cocktail competitions. So we wanted to go through and, and to discuss kind of a little bit about uh, how those work. I think there's a lot of people out there that don't realize there are such things, especially, uh, you know, some of our listeners that aren't in the industry don't realize that that is an event they occur regularly. Uh, they're very often sponsored by brands. So They happen all the time, man. There was one last night, wasn't there, in that Hotel Tango? Yeah, I, I just saw that on, uh, on, on Facebook uh, a couple hours ago. Something was going on over there. Yeah. I mean, there's probably, I feel like, locally, a local cocktail competition damn near once every two weeks. At least. Yeah, if, you know, on the, lo- on the quiet side, once a month. Uh, last week we had the Devour Downtown cocktail competition, so yeah. I was judging for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And this week yeah, there's was always that Hotel Tango thing. Um, I don't know when the next one is, but I feel like I get asked to oh, change one every every two weeks, every three weeks. And the the of course there's nationwide the big yeah. ones. The um, national ones are yeah, those are the you know obviously world class Diageo's world class. Heaven Hill just launched uh, a big national competition last year. This is their second year called um, America's Best Bartender. Oh yeah. Uh, and is then world class kind of like the definitive? Like that's the world Diageo world class is the flagship. Yeah, that's the big one. Premier Cadillac. Well, you're a two time finalist. Two time finalist. Also finalist. a two time loser. Well, that's <laughs> that's an important uh, important point to uh, note. Well, that's quite all right. I mean, you've made it through uh, regional finals twice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is no easy feat. That's a tough thing to do. It is. Yeah. So, that I mean, that's kind of... You and I had discussed this uh, after you went through it the first time about how much you wish you knew prior to walking into that room. Um, because when you're walking in, you're walking in blind. I They've got recommendations out on their website, even Diageo. So, again, talking specifically about Diageo World Class. On their website, they've got kind of tips on how to win. And they're very vague. You know, make sure you're prepared. Uh, make sure you're knowledgeable of the products. Uh, be methodical. You know, be yourself. Be funny. Um, tell stories. Things like that. But those are very vague, um, especially when you're up against some of the best in the country slash world. If you make it through finals and then we're going to global finals. Yeah, and, and that this Diageo World Class is um, it functions differently than the other competitions. Um, you, you don't see anybody else competing. You're, you go into uh, a room with three judges and you compete in that, uh, a specific challenge. So for regionals, there's three challenges and they kind of change. They tweak the, the formatting every year. So how do you even um, make it to a regional? Um, so the very first round is, uh, is all uh, written. So they take applications. I, I want to say last year there was something like 1,500 people that, that applied. Nationwide? Nationwide. Or re- nationwide. Okay. Uh, those applications require um, a recipe, um, a drink recipe, and three essay questions, and then there's a, a test component. Um, that's you kind of you can kind of pick which category of tests you want to do. There's usually two or three options, so they'll they'll usually watch a video component and then have a test right after that. The way that so once the applications are submitted, they're submitted blind. One judging panel grades the essay questions. Another judging panel actually makes the recipe of the drink that you submit. 
they taste it and determine if it's worthy of, of moving on to the next round. So of those, say, 1,500 people that enter um, the next, if to go to regionals, there's five regional competitions. Each region hosts 15 individuals. So they instantly whittle that 1,500 down to, what, 75? Um, the top three in the five regions move on to nationals. So that's uh, of the 75, 15 go on to nationals. Well, that's a pretty big deal that even getting at, into the regional finals or semifinals, however they phrase it. But yeah, I mean, you're getting 1,500 people nationwide. And they're bringing in bringing 75, 75 people. Yeah. So right? I mean, it's it's getting to regionals is a, is a exciting opportunity, and that's when things really get hard because that's the you know that's sort of understanding what world class is looking for because it's kind of essentially a, a job interview, right? You're kind of interviewing to be the face of Diageo for a year. Um, and at this point, I think it's important to note that uh, for those of you out there that don't know uh, who Diageo is as an organization, uh, Arthur, you want to kind of fill us in about how, the beast that is Diageo? Uh, it's nice, um, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're a very, very big spirits conglomerate supplier. Um, if you take all the other spirit suppliers out there in the world and put them together, I think it makes up like a third of Diageo. So they're kind of the the black helicopters. Of the, a third of Diageo is an important right, point. Right. Yeah. They're they're very so all your very large brands. Um, Johnny Walker, Tanqueray, right. Bullet, right. Um, uh, the Captain Morgan, Smirnoffs, basically the, the the category leaders, the vast majority of the. I mean, just to get an idea of, Crown of their sales volume. Every four to five seconds, someone in the world is ordering Johnny Walker Black at a bar. I so, think that's actually conservative. I yeah. would, I would yeah. say it's conservative, <laughs> especially in Asia. Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's volume, baby. Um, but they, like a number of other um, suppliers out there, um, so if anybody isn't in the trade, you know, the whole, whole alcohol system in the U.S. is three-tiered. It's, it's a supplier, it's wholesaler, and then it's retailer. So your bars, your restaurants your accounts, uh, the word I keep saying instead of restaurants and, uh, and bars, accounts. Um, We're all just a number to you, aren't we, Arthur? All, oh, yeah, you know me. Yeah, yeah, because I don't do anything for the community. Again, <laughs> 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 chipping away at that karmic debt. Um, so they, like a number of other suppliers, um, are pretty proactive in, in, in putting together competitions. Um, I mean, even the competitions here locally, you know, if we didn't have the brands to put together um, the dollars and, and organize a lot of the competitions. Um, if we didn't have them, we wouldn't have the competitions. And I mean, that's really what the competitions become about, right? I mean, it's really, the competitions are there as a device to move product. So it's a way to get products into the hands of bartenders, maybe products that they wouldn't necessarily touch, or maybe products that are looking to uh, increase uh, as a portion of a portfolio. Yeah, well, I think that really speaks another to another type of promotion. Yeah, yeah exactly. Promotion. But that's, I think, probably more or less the intent of every cocktail competition that is sponsored by a brand. Yes. Um, I know there's a few coming up. I mean, we're sponsoring one at our bar, Black Market, um, in a month with uh, House of Agricole. You know, again, kind of promoting Agricole rum as a category to bartenders. So, I mean, Diageo's kind of pushing it as their entire portfolio more, more or less but you're right you're essentially interviewing for a job at which point you know when you're once you enter that competition because if you make it all the way through it's kind of a big deal is it not yeah i mean if you win nationals i mean that's you competed against 75 individuals essentially and you know we're the cream of the crop in very difficult challenges so 
the regional competition is three challenges. It's uh, always a speed round, uh, usually some sort of uh, of a theater portion where it's where it's basically you're sort of crafting a story and creating a uh, a theme and um, a setting for your judges to experience. So, um, I mean, you know, I can think of a, a individual two years ago that did like a Alice in Wonderland tea party and sort of, uh, you know, creating a, a cool environment and cool uh, scenario for the judges to experience. Um, and then what's the third part? The third part is kind of changes. So the, the, uh, this year it was a dealer's choice. So you actually walk into a room having absolutely zero idea of what you're going to do. And the judges um, give you a deck of cards. You pull out cards that give you a spirit, a flavor, and a style. And um, you go. So I think you have to do two drinks. You, you pick two, two decks of cards to get. Um, and you, yeah, it's all blind. So you yeah. could get you know, a tequila flip that is savory. And, and that's uh, going to be a tough a tough thing to pull out. I remember last when you did this the first time around, which was two years ago. Two years ago, 2014. My favorite story is when you talked about walking into the speed round. I believe it was. Uh, yeah. So the speed the speed round is what like that's if you're looking at it. So once you win nationals, you go on to compete globals. So it's like the Olympics for bartending. You you represent you know the United States and you're competing against uh, now 52 other bartenders from all over the globe representing their country. But the thing that America always excels at is the speed round. We're like gunslingers behind bars where a lot of the other countries are more, a little bit more methodical, especially if you go to Asia and, they're, and, they're, and the way that they make drinks, the, the speed component is not necessarily something they, they're great at. But uh, so everybody wants to kill the speed round and really go out there and, and uh, destroy it. But uh, so I made it to nationals last year and I was uh, you, um, following behind Julio Cabrera, who's a legend in the bartending world. Absolutely. Just recently left the Regent Cocktail Club in Miami. Yeah, and he's the, sort of the epitome of that old school gentleman, gentleman bartender, um, you know, Cuban, a uh, lot of heritage, a lot of tradition, and uh, he's known for his uh, ability to work incredibly fast and incredibly clean. So I'd never done this before. I'm setting up next to him as he's going working with the judges and doing his thing and just absolutely crushing it looking like a you know a game show host behind the bar with you know <laughs> just effortless and so he walks out as i'm walking in big smile on his face and i'm like you son of a bitch like he white gloved himself so he had like <laughs> a white tuxedo jacket on like spotless right and you've got to do i think we had to do uh, six or eight drinks in six or eight minutes, something like that. So it's not an easy task. Um, and he's like, you know, spotless and not even, not a drip of sweat, mm -hmm. not a bit of anxiety on his face. Yeah, no, that wouldn't be me. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm so sweater. I go in and I, it's just, it's a train wreck. Like I, I spill bitters all over the place. <laughs> I'm sweating. Like I took my vest off, like I'm pitted out <laughs> and uh, covered in syrup. And, you know, my, I've, I had a successful round. I finished in time. And my drinks were good, but it was a tornado. <laughs> I, I just have this uh, image of you just dripping and yeah, sweating. Yeah, no, I was, like yeah. you've been run through a washing machine. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, Julie uh, Reiner told me at, at the after party, she's like, it was like watching a bull in a china shop. <laughs> um, but I will say that this year, at the speed round this year, um, I went incredibly prepared, and um, the judges commented on my cool as a cucumber. I think actually... One of them was like, dude, I don't think I've ever seen anybody that 
relaxed in a speed round. Um, so I, that was nice going in and feeling well, that kind of goes back to it. I mean, knowing what to expect once yeah, you walk in and, you know, for those of the, the listeners out there that are industry and, and that are thinking about doing these kinds of competitions, I think that this kind of information is really useful uh, because I think you said, um, it's funny, you, you had mentioned to me before that when you went to Diageo Nationals, the first time you had your hat on backwards, T-shirt yeah, I mean, I just in. Yeah, I did, you know, I, I wanted to bartend the way we bartend here. and So yeah, I had, you know, I, I took off the vest and I, you know, I put my hat on and I had a flannel shirt on and I just went, did my thing. Um, this year I, I went in a little bit more professionally. Well, it's funny the reason that you say that is because I was, uh, as I was preparing to talk about this with you today, I looked on uh, Diageo's Bar Academy uh, com, and uh, and they have tips on how to win a cocktail competition. Obviously, this is from the people that operate world class. It literally says, I'm, re- I'm reading verbatim, it's fair to say the cocktail competitions have reached such heady levels that simply turning up with some basic martini glasses, a basement, I'm sorry, a bargain basement bar kit, Lime wheel garnish and a dirty T-shirt just isn't <laughs> yeah, going to yeah, cut that's it. Not going to cut it. I mean, yeah, world class is a it's a damn near fashion show. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the you know the photos of the guys that are competing, yeah, I mean everybody's you know uh, dressed to the nines and. Uh, I will have to say that is an understatement. So, well, you're at the. I, I got to attend the uh, ceremony yeah. and the after party um, this year, uh, which was in June. And uh, Josh was a finalist, so we got to go see uh, the final winners in such of every category. And prior to going, of course, we weren't uh, privy to being behind the scenes and seeing the competition itself. We only got to attend the party and the uh, awards ceremony. I called Josh ahead of time, and I said, or I asked, you know, what is the uh, dress code? What should I expect? I realize I'm going to be in the midst of a bunch of bartenders, and I'm imagining everybody kind of in their fine vests and white shirts and looking very old school and classy and he says no 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 no. it's very casual don't worry about it wear whatever so we show up wearing our t-shirts jeans you know beat up adidas shoes and we are by far yeah, the most underdressed really people. underdressed <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's just funny to hear the evolution of the cocktail competitions in that way because like that in the sommelier world and the wine competition world, like, no. There's never a casual phase of its evolution. It's have you tried, Arthur? Have you, have you tried to casualize it when you competed oh, in your sommelier uh, competition? There was one time where I <laughs> did, and it was just a matter of circumstance, and it kind of goes down in sommelier lore. Um, so I, a while back, I, I've been out to pasture for a while. I haven't competed in five or six years or whatever, but I was going to the sommelier competitions, and I mean, everybody show up is wearing, you know, they're wearing Armani. They're wearing, you know, like they check your fingernails before you go into practicals to make sure that they're manicured and there's no, I mean, their shoes got to be polished. I mean, you have to really, really show up. Arlie Ermy from Full Metal Jackets walking you know, down. And, and people will say, oh, well, no, it just lends to some style points. It's not really a variable bullshit. You know, I mean, it's, they're looking at every single thing um, when you go in. And I was at the semi finals i think they were in uh i think they were in dallas um this particular year and you go in different phases you know so like everybody takes their theoretical paper so some competitions always have three parts there's your blind tasting there's your practical which is your service examination where you'll be opening champagne and all that stuff or decantation and then there's a theoretical paper 
you always start off with theoretical and then whoever's competing they stagger you know these guys are doing service at this time and these guys are doing blind tasting at this time well i was the first to get through everything so i was doing my blind tasting and i, I finished at like noon right well everybody goes out to the pool afterwards when you get done and you go out and you drink and you get ready for reception and results so i go out at noon start drinking doing some shots you know <laughs> in the pool um i've witnessed moments like this oh with yeah, you. yeah yeah it happens and um the last dude to compete a cat named fernando out of chicago uh, mad chops very very talented dude his his tasting was last it was like at four you know so he comes out to the pool to have a beer sits down i've been out there drinking for four hours in the pool one of the ms's comes out and he's like arthur fernando you guys are a dead even tie we need you to go back inside (laughs) you got it's it's sudden death theory i'm like what and i'm like dude i'm in the pool man and i'm like do i need to go get all my monkey suit on he was like just throw on a shirt and meet us in there so i'm annihilated but i go upstairs i throw on a tank top i got you know wet shorts on and flip-flops go walking into my examination room and of course you know it's all serious and every i got four or five judges behind the table looking at me like really dude really um and i I slurred my way through sudden death theory needless to say i didn't win it's hard to remember german einzel logs and shit like that after you've been (laughs) drinking for four hours but yeah as far as i know i'm the only person ever in a sommelier competition to sit a portion of it in a wife beater and swim trunks yeah wet That's swimming awesome. trunks Good for you though yeah I, I, I didn't go on the finals that year but uh, <laughs> I, I did the next year and I won finals well so. but it's not it's not all that way there's competitions that's you know that work to most are very casual especially yeah, yeah at the local at the local level but you even have yeah. national competitions like the Espelon um cocktail fights i think that would be which are the epitome framed, of not yeah the exact opposite yeah. of world class so i mean you're 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 creating a spectacle in a different sense. You know, you're going in sort of with a character. The whole thing's wrestling themed. You want a, you want a wrestling belt. Um, so it's a much looser, more casual, and a lot, you know, incredibly fun. It's, it's your spectators. Indianapolis brought home the belt this we, year. Yeah, we, Eli Sanchez won and the belt this year uh, from Chicago, beat Chicago out. There are some real scary um, pictures. Lots of frightening, that, frightening right? pictures. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, those are... There's different, there's different ways that those comp- the national competitions work, and it's really up to the brand and how they want to sort of position themselves. But oh, obviously, the- you know, the world class takes an incredible amount of organization. You know, you're hitting up five cities, 75 bartenders, plus the nationals, plus the global- globals. Um, it's, it's a, and you it's bring all of your own equipment, everything. You I bring mean, everything, All your yeah. barware. Yes. I mean, and, and things have progressed quite significantly through the course of history in this competition. I mean, you're now you have guys out there hitting up thrift shops, trying to find vintage barware. Yeah. And you know, I, I, so I kind of, I went went into it this year wanting to be not that. And uh, I think it actually worked to my detriment, but, uh, I, I went in, I, I, my, my philosophy was if I can't do it in my bar at volume, I'm not going to do it in the competition because I feel like that's, you know, this sort of over the top, um, aspect to the competitions is, not something that I really enjoy anymore. And, you know, two years ago I was all about that, but sort of I, the way I've evolved uh, in my thought on bartending is just, I, I like simple, I like clean, I like, you know, easy drinks. Um, and the sort of the, the presentation, the overtop presentations just, I don't feel are an aid of anything other than to make yourself sort of look special. You don't like all the flair? I, um, the flair's, flair's fun. I mean, there's different ways to incorporate that, but sort of the ostentatious presentations are, 
I mean, does it make the drink better? No. You know, is it fun for the guest? Maybe. Um, you know, for the philosophy for, for us at Thunderbird, of is if, if, if it's not enhancing the guest experience or making the drink faster, then we're not going to do it. Um, so I kind of went, I took that philosophy to the world class and I definitely realized that day two, I was like, shit, everybody's like, everybody's got the over the top garnishes, the glassware, you know, side serves. And, um, I, I didn't bring any of that. So I, it definitely dinged me and I, and I dinged me on my scores. When I got the scores back, I was very high. Every, everything I was, you know, incredibly high in technical aspects, but scored pretty low on the creative side. Well, I know in addition to the cocktails themselves, they're also looking for not only how you present yourself, but how you present yourself to the customer. So yeah, I mean, yeah, your the whole interaction thing, yeah, is it, hospitality. Yeah. The whole thing is you know built around hospitality. It's built around product knowledge. It's built around technique, creativity. Um, there's there's so much happening at those competitions. It's insane, and uh, the 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 level of talent there um, is really incredible. So you know, the, it, I'm super lucky to have made it twice to the to the top fifteen. And uh, the people that I've, I've uh, seen come out of that um, are always phenomenal bartenders, executing at very, very high levels. I just rewatched this morning on YouTube, and it's a fantastic video. Um, Tim Phillips from Australia, his, um, his speed round reincarnation that. flip. Yeah, you yeah. That? The egg. Where he broke the egg, but yeah. had the drink hidden in another egg. That yeah. was amazing. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but there's, you that know, takes it to a different level. It takes it to a different level, yeah. And then you have actually, you know, sort of the, the anti-competition competition, um, which I don't think they did it last year, but it's a rematch biatch um, that we, you cannot have a sponsor. You can, it's, no brands are allowed to participate. You can't take, you can't take brand money. Uh, I think they originated in New York, Giuseppe Gonzalez and Phil Ward and those guys put it together. Uh, as sort of a, a bartender's competition without all the BS of, of brands. I really enjoy that aspect. Um, yeah. And you're starting to see that happen a lot more on local levels and regional levels. But, um, you know, because I think oftentimes, you know, when you when you go in with a set requirement, like you've got to use these products, you have, and very oftentimes you have, you're being judged by people that may or may not necessarily be bartenders or yeah, understand exactly I think that's you know some of the issues that local competitions have is you know you tend to have maybe somebody that has some bartending experience another person that's maybe a food or drink writer and then you know usually there's some kind of like a celebrity component and uh, so oftentimes you know maybe the 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 most technically sound and like best drink doesn't necessarily win all the time right uh you know because it's up to again individuals whose palates are a little bit different or whatever they're kind of sometimes anticipating from the old really sucks you yeah know. you could have bad judge I mean, panels there are plenty of people because you want to you want to bring in other personalities and i mean i'm very methodical in the way i judge it's there's a look there's a structural element to it is everything integrated um you know do i consider style points do i consider knowledge and comfort level of course but they're you know they're graded to a lesser extent but i, I was at a competition a few weeks ago and uh you know one of the guys was like Oh, this is my favorite. And it was absolutely the worst cocktail. And I was like, dude, there's no way, like, this is not going to win. Like, I would stab you with my pen before I would acknowledge this is a decent drink. And it was, it was just going off flavor. And he also happened to have shitty taste. So, you right. know, it's like, you know. Well, I, we, you know, we're addre to address that. You know, I've been, uh, for the first time, helping to organize a competition. I've never done this before. But we've been working with Ben Jones from uh, House of Agricole, 
which is, you know, based in Martinique, Rum Clement, Rum JM, Damoiseau, they just recently picked up uh, St. Lucia Distillers is now under their umbrella as well. Um, I mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, we're doing a competition with them next month. There's a sales component, but the ultimate kind of uh, competition that's live, five bartenders going to be hosted at Black Market, you know, one of our restaurants. And it's quite challenging, you know, because you think about a lot about these things. Who are the judges going to be? How are we going to present this? You know, how can we make sure that there is no bias? Um, we spoke with our staff and made sure that our staff was aware that they weren't going to be permitted to take place in the competition because I feel that, and it's not just myself. I, I know that there's a lot of people in the industry here in Indianapolis and I would, I would uh, venture to guess in many other cities as well, there's this perception of bias with some of the food writers uh, oh, sure. you know, alcohol bloggers, yeah. et cetera, or home base bar, et cetera. So we tried very hard to make sure that the judges coming in to um, handle this House of Agriculture competition, uh, I say House of Agriculture is actually is based around Rum Clement, but um, so Ben Jones is, is coming in to judge uh, Adrian from Lost Lake, which we are now just a few episodes in, and I think we've dropped Lost Lake's name several times at this point. Um, Great having bar. just uh, interviewed Aaron Hayes, which, as a side note, um, it was mentioned while we interviewed Aaron um, on our last episode that she was hoping that they would be placed in the top 100 bars. Um, that, you know, there's a top 50 bars in the world comes out every October, I guess, October, as a yeah. ceremony. Um, last year, Lost Lake was 70 something. I can't remember. You can refer back to that episode and find out. Uh, those. The 51 through 100 were just released yesterday, and Lost Lake was 51. Oh, good for them. Yeah. Moving That's on. fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah just one, one spot away from being in that top 50, which yeah, is it really a is. really if, big deal. If, uh, you know, you've never been, if you get to Chicago, that's, in my opinion, the the first bar you should hit up or the last bar. I think it should be um, the last one. Yeah, probably the last one. I've made it the first one too many <laughs> times, and you will yeah, erase an evening very quickly. Um You'll realize it at 2 a.m., the yeah. last call in Chicago. I took a couple of my buddies up for a show in May, and we stopped there fairly early in the night and had three or four drinks, and I was babysitting them the rest of the evening because uh, I knew the drill. Well, but they, tiki they drinks know. sneak yeah, up yeah, on they're you. Gonna get you. you. You're drinking, and you don't realize that some of those have three ounces of rum in them, and it's gonna once you have you in five, six drinks yeah. in, yeah. I've, I've had some pretty weird nights after Lost Lake. I've ended up in a boxing gym at 4 o'clock in the morning with a – a retired pro boxer that it happened to be sitting burning. at the bar. Yeah, right. Well, Mr. Arthur. Yeah, you yeah. got the, well. The last a lot of citrus, last night we were there drinking all that rum, and yeah, I think did. you got lost at four in the morning in downtown Chicago. I don't know what. Oh, I did. Yeah, no. Night. Well, right. So, okay. So I'm, I'm drinking with with Joshua here. We were at the Drifter. We left. Uh, right. We left Lost Lake. We went to Drifter, and. I, I was done. I mean, this is approximately after what, 16 hours of drinking, I think. Cause yeah, we, had, we started we were, like 11 in the morning. It was right. like three at night by the time you it, it was bad. And I, I just got home decided. at like six in the morning. I don't even know what happened to me. I had to go. I, I just needed to go. I went to the restroom when I came out. I'm like, I'm done. Mm. I'm not even going back in the bar. It's, I'm not saying all, goodbyes. All that was nice. You just I'm just taking off. Sneak I asked, out. Yeah, I asked mm. Josh. I said, where is the hotel? I've never stayed at this place before. <laughs> and he said, it's great. It's easy. It's only two blocks that way. So I leave the bar. And I start walking. After 25 minutes of not finding my hotel, I finally get on my Google Maps app and realize I had walked in the completely wrong direction. 
and so double back. I was so pissed. Well, I I was going to double back. But by this point, my anger had overtaken me, so I just called an Uber. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the guy yeah, literally yeah. looked at, at, at the Uber app, and he, he turned back to me in the back seat, and he said, really? He <laughs> said, like, yes, I don't want to walk it. Can you just take me back to my hotel, please? Mm-hmm. Uh, we got sidetracked there, though. But anyhow, but yeah, as we're assembling this competition for Rum Clement, uh, you know, we, we're bringing down um, you know, Adrian to help judge. We've got Ben coming in to judge, so... No bias. They have no necessarily uh, relationships with anybody here in Indianapolis, barring Black Market and our staff, um, which is one of the reasons we didn't we took that, ourselves right. out of the running. We didn't want that perception of bias, whether or not it exists. <clears throat> well, bias that's is fair tough to, to get around. Yeah, the bias is tough to get around, especially when, um, you know, oftentimes that the, at a local level, again, because uh, the brand is trying to tie the competition to some sort of increase in in sales yeah certain so, bartenders have stronger followings than others yeah a lot of times you'll see that sort of often not mentioned fact that maybe a certain individual wins because they've gone through x amount of cases of said product right mm-hmm. um you know that that happens um or again you know a relationship with a supplier that a bartender has a, well you know, there's there, there, all that kind of stuff happens and it, it is what it is but and i think that's why at the local level I think that it's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky, and you and well, I mean, how do you it, like you? A big part of judging a cocktail competition is having the, the bartender make the drink for you. You know who they are. You know, I mean, you can do like a blind uh, judging where you have certain judges that are watching them actually make the drinks, and I'm asking questions while they're making the drinks. But then different judges actually taste the drinks and judge the those drinks there, and then you you know add the points together. But, you know, that's kind of a pain in the ass. It's more complicated. And and requires a hell of a lot more judges. It does more require judges, more judges. And there's sometimes you could, you know, you, be you making... You can also uh, still taste a bartender's thumbprint. Like right, I, that's I've, what I was going I've to say. I've judged drinks that way a few times. You can tell who made I don't what? know who made it, I know who the judge or the bartenders the are, and I'll yeah. taste it. And I'm like, oh, that's Devin's. You know, or oh, yeah. that's, you know, I think, pups. too, oftentimes that can get tricky because maybe the bartender is doing something maybe he's breaking a rule a little bit like in a positive way maybe you know maybe using a heavy hand on bitters or doing a really cool stirred boozy drink and not being able to interact with the judge and sort of walk him through what your thought process was. right that goes back to the style of what you're doing like i mean those are your style points of yes i realize i'm kind of coloring outside the lines here but here's my thinking on it yeah and why does it work or why doesn't it work you know why so if you're doing blind judging sometimes that you know, you're missing those little details of what the bartender's trying to trying to achieve with the drink. So you'd mentioned, you know, you're coming in and everybody's kind of got a story background or, you know, for the drinks or whatnot while you're crafting, you know, your beverages to be judged. Um, you know, what's your thought process on that? I mean, how do you attack that to come up with a story? Obviously, we, we know these brands. They're out there. They're available. I think a lot of our listeners have tried them. Um, you know, you, you've got to really dig down and get some history and then tie that into a cocktail somehow. And not only a cocktail, but a cocktail that you may not have any control over the style in which it's going to be made. Yeah, that, that's a good question. So a lot of it, a lot, it's a lot of research. So, um, you know, this, for example, uh, I did a, a Johnny presentation. We had to use a couple of different Johnny Walker products and sort of delve into the history of the, of, of the malt. Um, and his, and sort of tie it into tea and coffee, um, and so you you know you're kind of well what what flavor profiles are going to work for me there, uh, how do I build a cocktail 
using scotch and coffee and all those flavors make sense, right? Um, but uh, creating a story can be difficult. So what I did was, was looking at um, whiskey production in the U.S. in terms of uh, colonial uh, area, era and uh, immigrants coming in, Scotch-Irish, um, making malted whiskey or rye whiskey or bourbon whiskey, um, but looking at that as sort of um, how their more rustic whiskeys, less refined, um, and tying that to sort of like America's uh, embracing of coffee culture and uh, the Brits' embracing of tea. Um, so making this sort of dichotomy, uh, just juxtaposing bourbons and rye as this sort of more rougher spirit, and then the and coffee, more robust flavors, well, and scotch are. and tea um, with this again sort of a more refined palate, uh, lighter, softer whiskeys. Um, but again, you could you could reverse that easily too and flip it. But yeah, so you're, it's a lot of research. Um, you know, I remember doing a presentation on a bourbon cocktail, like a bourbon mai tai, and bringing in an Italian liqueur and talking about. This is the House of Bourbon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The House of Bourbon, who controlled Sicily, and this liqueur was from there. And oh, by the way, Bourbon County, Kentucky, is named after them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And here's how this cocktail all comes together. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, you know, I think Charles told a story two years ago um, about the Chicago railway system and how that worked and bringing alcohol into the Midwest. You know. So that brings us back around for a second, I guess. I don't mean to interrupt, but you were talking about Charles Jolie, right? From, yes. Uh, well, previously of Aviary in Chicago. Previous of Aviary, and I, he just goes by the champ now, so if you just want to call right, him Right, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the champ. He's going to get pissed about that. So Charles won world-class globals two years ago. How many um, Americans have won world-class globals? Charles Jolie. Charles Jolie. That, that would be He's one. the American, yeah. Uh, we've done. We've been very successful in globals. Uh, this is, I think, year five for us, actually competing. I think the as a competition, world class has existed for seven or eight years. Uh, so you know, Ricky Gomez, I think he placed top five, the first year the U.S. competed. Jeff Bell, the second year, uh, placed third. Uh, Charles won it year three. Um, I think Tyson was top 10 last year and then we'll find out what happens to Andrew who won nationals this year in September down in Miami when they compete when he competes globally yeah congratulations to Andrew and we wish you great all guy. the best here obviously great guy out of uh, San Francisco if you get a chance uh, where's he at uh, Romolo I believe in San Francisco I'm not sure I should yeah. know that so how does the how do the uh Psalm competitions, obviously a lot more serious. Do you see uh, opportunities for wine to sort of take cues from bartenders and, and get more people excited about wine? <clears throat> mm, you know, it's, uh, what, we don't really have any kind of, we don't have any wine competitions locally. And I've had people that have talked to me about it like, hey, do you think this is something that you could kind of start doing? And I don't know, I just don't know if we'd have the the pool. I mean, I don't know if we would have enough people in town. We, we have plenty of, of um, there's less of, sexiness to it. I think, you know, as like you said, when you're watching a bartender make a cocktail in front of you, there's style, there's, 
you know, well, panache, the, but with, you know, the sommelier competition. Well, yeah, and I guess, too, where from a like creativity tasting. standpoint, Correct. there's more things you can. I don't know who in would compete in it, you know. Sure. I mean, I could certainly facilitate them and organize them, and God knows I've been in enough competitions where, I, you know, I know all the tricks and all the different ways to, uh, to you know, to, to quiz and engage and, and test the competitors, but I just don't know if we would have the kind of draw as far as competitors to participate. You know, we, we have a wonderful little wine community here, and it's, it's blossomed, especially in the past five, ten years for sure, and I'd like to think I've been a part of that, but... You know, um, well, I think you what haven't. you're doing, though, I think what you're doing with that class is pretty fantastic and giving. Yeah, yeah the one sort of had experienced you know, people are really, really digging that. So if uh, and I'm sure listeners don't know, but I, I do work for a wholesaler in town. I'm kind of an educator specialist. And I, I basically created a wine university through our, um, our our company. And it's it's been just really embraced by the trade it's awesome it's been very humbling and 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 um it, it's just been cool and but i think as an industry we need it locally um i think wine's been neglected we do the need last it. few years i 100 percent agree with that yeah, i think as it's an lost operator. limelight it, i mean the the bartenders have just been killing it and that's kind of where all the um well i think it leads back lately. to cocktail culture and what we've seen with the craft spirits and craft cocktail scene this is really relatively new for the united states and really globally where this emphasis is being placed on it again. So for years, we have had like this emphasis placed on wine, you know, in the 80s and, and such. And then as cocktail culture came back around, you kind of had that first generation rediscovering these classic cocktails, bringing the style back, bringing the panache back, the proper techniques, proper glassware, etc. having some fun with it, really getting creative. But and what I've seen happen as an operator is that we are now three or four generations in meaning not obviously age wise, but those, those guys trained their, their staff and those guys went on to open their own bars. Right. Well, the, the emphasis where they learned their craft, the emphasis was on the cocktails, not on the wine because it was new. It's exciting or not necessarily new, but it was kind of a return to this, you know, these really amazing cocktails, but now we're even further beyond that. So we have, bartenders and cocktail professionals that are learning from people that literally don't have any experience in wine. Well, and then, I mean, when I first started, all we talked about was wine. When I was bartending, I mean, that's it. It was wine. Craft beer was starting to become a thing. And where did you start? Uh, Olive Garden. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Nice. Olive Garden. I don't know how old I was. I think 23 when I first started bartending, but it was Probably all wine education. Probably not a big cocktail program at Olive Garden, I'm guessing. Uh, fro- definitely not Frozen tiramisus, Italian yeah. margaritas, which were fantastic, Delicious. a little amaretto uh, float. Um, what else do we have on there? I don't even remember. Uh, some kind of chocatini and razzatini. And, ah, yes, you know. the teeny well, era. It's, the teenies. There's, there's no doubt this has become a cocktail town, but there's distinctions, and nationally uh, there's been a craze of, of cocktails recently, but... We have to make the distinction between what we're talking about local and what we're talking about as far as national trends. Absolutely. Because wine is still on the up and up on a national well, level. Millennials are crushing wine. They're they, 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 they just overtook of the yeah. baby boomers. They're now the largest consumption demographic. Um, and I think uh, I've mentioned before that last year we became the world's leading consumer of wine by value and volume. Um, and it has still been on the rise in Indianapolis. It just hasn't been on the rise to the extent that cocktails have and the beer ha- uh microbrew craft beers have i mean but i think that leak goes back to the point of the <clears throat> education when you don't know what it is that you're selling 
it's much harder to confidently sell that from behind the bar. And I don't mean it's from a salesman standpoint, but just an educational standpoint when a guest comes in and doesn't, they're not sure what they like to drink. They, you know, one, they wanted to have a white wine or red wine, but that's about as much as they've determined your little university, I don't, not my, saying my, little, my it's, little, it's actually a pretty big deal yeah. now. Right. I mean, um, you had way more people and en- enlist for the class than, than I expected had, had yeah, room yeah. for the demand that has been, been much greater than I thought. Um, so, and I'm not, uh, taking away emphasis from education. I mean, hell, that's what my entire you know career has been about educating people, um, about booze and wine and sake and all things. Um, and I think the, the competitions do lend to, uh, to education outside of networking and, you know, developing chops and all that good stuff. I just don't know, what kind of pull there would be for wine-oriented competitions? Well, that's the, you know the, the tough thing too is that I think we're we're wine is at a disadvantage, and even even beers at a disadvantage is in just sheer amount of money on hand that brands can throw at a product. Absolutely, you know, so the money that's spent it's on a, a competition huge disadvantage. Yeah, yes. the money that's spent on competitions, the money that's spent on getting bartenders excited about a brand. Uh, spirits guys have insane. way deeper pockets. Yeah. So than a wine, wine guy guys. looking at that as a marketing opportunity is probably going to pass yeah. because the sure you know just the, yeah just the amount of product that's needed. Well, and the, especially with the big three companies that own all of those brands, they've got the deepest pockets. Um, those three companies again for our listeners, if you're not aware and you're not working in the industry, know what I'm referring to. I'm talking about Diageo, talking about Campari, and talking about Pernod Ricard. Uh, do you know what their market share is, Arthur, off the top of your head? I mean, how much in, in the booze? No, I mean, globally, because um, obviously craft spirits that you're getting, you know, in southern Florida that handle two markets, you know, two cities I mean, distribution. I, I can't speak to that. No? I mean, without I could pull some numbers out of my ass, but I'm not confident. Yeah, I mean, the volume's would. huge. But I mean, I, most yeah, of it's... what you're going to the liquor store to buy comes from one of those companies. Yeah. They're... they're they're big companies, yeah. They're, they're very large umbrella. So they can fund company. these competitions all day long, every day, and never have any concern uh, There's whatsoever. a lot more money in the spirits world than there is in the wine world. Um, Although, you know, it's an interesting time, though, in the spirit world. There's been a lot of shakeups in the last six months. Um, a lot of programs being cut. Um, yeah, that's know, what I hear. A lot of uh, sales forces uh, being uh, laid off. Ambassador yeah, programs new, being being dissolved, week, right? Yeah, a lot of you know. So, you know, are the dollars shrinking up? Are are brands starting to maybe question the the value of uh, a lot of these programs or competitions? I wouldn't be shocked if you started to see some of them disappear or reformat, um, because I think the the question is again for many company. If you know, if I'm Diageo, what's my return on investment in and putting on these competitions, is it helping me right. sell, sell, sell products, put products on shelves or get them in the consumer's hands? And it's really hard to measure that. How do, how do you determine how much money you're making off of a cocktail competition? You get the obvious brand loyalty when you, know, when you take a bunch of bartenders and you take them to New York sure. for a competition. Obviously, that bartender is always going to have a place in his heart for those brands. But, you know, if, uh, if you're is, doing all these is competitions. And is that bartender an extension of your brand? That's a very small percentage of sales. Absolutely overall. right. Yeah. So I mean, a lot. You know, I, I, I wonder about the longevity of some of the competitions. 
and Diageo just ended their brand ambassador program. Yeah, and that was a, that was a pretty big. That is a really big, big deal. Move, yeah. uh, you know, they're out there uh, on the street. You know, I mean, uh, at local could, level on in every. You major could argue city. that that program did more for the for Diageo's whiskey portfolio than you know anything else they spent money on. Uh, you know, where you had actual guys that were boots on the street hitting up on on and off premise accounts, giving insane amounts of education. To consumers and to bartenders, the masters of whiskey. Yeah, Correct. and uh, you know, losing those individuals, uh, I'm sure is saving Diageo a lot of money. But I'd be interested to see, in terms of long-term sales, if they if there's a, a diminishing uh, return on that. I, I don't know. Who knows? So, for those young bartenders out there that want to get involved with competitions, either on the local or national level, mid or uh, regional levels as well any advice you'd have for them uh, kind of getting started out? Yeah, I mean, it's such a weird, weird uh, game to play, right? Right. Um, you know, I would, I would, I wouldn't do just any, you know, it, there's so many right now, it's become a little bit difficult to even keep track. So, you know, you're getting hit up all the time. Hey, I need your guys to enter this competition. Hey, we need X amount of bartenders in this competition. Um, I think I would really, you have, you know, you can kind of pick and choose. You know, do you want it to be more playful and fun? If that's what you're wanting, cool. Do you really want to test yourself and uh, put your put yourself through the paces? There's those the competitions for that. Um, I think, like all things, it's baby steps. Um, so do do a small local one. You know, maybe do like a devour thing, get your feet wet. Um, do a small uh, brand. You know, Ashley Kane was doing a, the Caballero contest. I think that was like kind of a good starter competition for people that was a cool uh, contest yeah and it was a cool contest uh and the prizes are always always fun um you know the um the monkey shoulder competition that they put together a few months ago uh was really cool that was really yeah fun. that was that was pretty cool uh, that was kind of an interesting uh, a different take on a competition uh i thought that was again kind of a uh, an opportunity for a younger bartender to come through and shine um but you know the world-class is a, that's a different beast, and that's for sort of a more uh, seasoned veteran that's got uh, the chops to do it because it's tough. Well, I know you've got work to do today, Josh, and we don't want to keep you from your prep work. I'm going to go uh, ride the bike and hit the gym and come oh. back and uh, you know, take the well, dog Well, perhaps for a walk. you don't have work to do today then. <laughs> Must be nice. Uh, but we always wrap up every episode with the same uh, question. Yeah, and we were supposed to start with another Actually, question. Actually, so I know. Well, right, I, I, I gotta say, it's shift drink. And I'm disappointed because I've got a cup of coffee. Ed's got water, and Arthur's drinking kale juice. His kale juice again. It's this is not two episodes. Kale, god damn it! You're I hate kale. Shit. I hate kale. It's not kale. It's spinach and other. Did you did you crap. ask today? Did you ask the no? But I'm standing <laughs> by it again. It's not. It's not kale. I know the owners of the shop. I could get her on the line right uh, now. We could do a little. So what is, how, do you, how do you end the thing? What is the, what's the question? What did you have to drink last night? And then favorite hangover cure? Well, I was, I had, what did I have last night? I had, uh, I don't know, some kind of lager at, uh, I, was in, I was in Louisville. I took the crew down to Woodford Reserve for the day. We hung out there and then grabbed a quick bite to eat in Louisville before we drove back. So I was the guy behind the wheel. So I, I, I had a, I don't know, some kind of lager. And that was it. Uh, my favorite. Have your driving, yeah. Yeah, so I just I we had a, had a, had a beer and then we I hit the road. Um, Arthur, how about you? Uh, I had dinner at Napoli's last night, so I just had a bottle of uh, Pinot Grigio, Faluga. Do you yourself had a bottle, or you? 
Well, I shared a little bit of it with Erica. That's not but, true. Uh, yeah. Right. What, I mean, a quarter of hey, an ounce? Wine is 85% water, all right? So I am hydrating myself. I had a glass of Santa Teresa 1792. I, you know, my shelf at home is filled with rum. So it's, bougie, man. Surprise. Well, it sounds fancier than, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, I only keep things at home that I can't get elsewhere in market except for house of agricole products because i am a big fan of agricole rum but um and that's one that we don't have here in indianapolis available to us so it's a it's a cool rum so i had a little glass as my night cap i don't know what my i wasn't sitting around in a smoking jacket or fucking you probably i didn't have a pipe or anything like that you were playing uh uh, reading the newspaper yeah right exactly Playing skyrim and sipping on rum no, I was actually watching Stranger Things. I had one more episode to go. It. I need to watch that. Nah, that's pretty kick-ass. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I finished it last night. I don't know if I have a straight-up hangover cure. Um, you know, I, I do, I will say, if I'm feeling it, I'll, I'll drink some Pedialyte. And, ch- so, you know, try to get a little uh, electrolytes and salt back in my body. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily have a, a go-to. I don't think we addressed it in our last Couple episodes, Arthur. But what's your hangover cure? Champagne and Xanax. <laughs> there you go. I try to avoid it, man. I'm getting old. The, the, my hangers last like two days now. Yeah, well, that that does come with age. But yeah, I'm not. I've I've got a regimen now. I travel with a hangover kit. That because I, I you know during the normal weeks that I spend at work, you know I don't overconsume i definitely don't even consume that much alcohol during the course of the week apart from tastings wine tastings liquor tastings and such so when i do go to a rum festival or a cocktail event and i know that i'm really going to be pushing it as i did during diageo while you were competing we were at espita mescaleria in washington dc fantastic place but uh oh, would awesome. recommend spending nine hours straight there yeah nine hours in the bars did. yeah that's uh it's a, that's it's an a event. stretch yeah so i go for uh branch chain amino acids the next morning for hydration okay i always make sure i uh set my alarm BCAs. two hours before i need to wake up um <laughs> and i pop some advil so by the time i actually wake up the headaches at least a little bit you know kind of tempered a little bit um of course, water. You know that that kind of goes yeah, without saying. But I always I just put a little of the BCAs in there. It goes a long way, and I'm gonna have to to endorse the Xanax as well. The Xanax. I get really bad anxiety problems during hangovers, uh, really? which is not uncommon. I found out most re- or very recently. Uh, I was looking online about something, and and it led me to that. But yeah, there. It is as you get older, if you have anxiety issues, it can actually add to it as your body is kind of healing itself from the previous evenings imbibing well maybe you know maybe uh if you're in a state that allows it uh, an edible would help oh <laughs> uh, absolutely i fully condone that um if you are in a legal state yeah, if you're in a edibles state and i it. and i can attest that it does absolutely help um yeah there's no better way to shake a hangover yeah, but that only works if you are in a medical marijuana state or a completely legal um, adult use medical. I'm sorry. Sheesh, tripping over my words here. An adult use marijuana state. But unfortunately, Indiana is none of the above. So until that time, we will be drinking our BCAs, our champagne of Xanax, and uh, lots Pedialyte. of water and chugging Pedialyte. Pedialyte. Right. Well, until next time. 
Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. guys. Thanks, Arthur. Thanks for coming on, Josh. Appreciate it.